born again. How many of you are born again? Are you all the way born again? Are you being born again? It's a process. You are born again, and you're being born again. It's both. Because you are three parts. You are spirit, you are soul, mind, will, and emotions, and you are body. Is your body born again yet? Not yet. It will be, when it's glorified, it will be born again. You'll get a, you're going to get a body that's your body glorified. Is your spirit born again? Absolutely. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit would not live there. But the Holy Spirit came and renovated your spirit. Your spirit's born again. Is your heart, your mind, will, and emotions born again? They're on their way, right? Yeah. Abigail says that we're in a process. Yeah, that's right. We're taking steps. We're actually walking out a journey of being born again. This is super important. If you're not walking out a journey of being born again, you're actually not saved. You, are, you can't be saved that way. You actually have to be becoming born again, though you are born again, and though you will be born again. You have to be in that process, okay? So born again equals the journey out of the flesh and into the spirit. What we think about God's heart, what's God's heart? It's what he thinks, it's what he feels, and what he wants to do. His heart, you're made in his image, so we can know what God's heart's like because you can know what your heart's like. Your heart is your mind, will, and emotion, so is God's. So we actually want to know what is God, what are God's thoughts, what are God's feelings, and what is God doing, okay? And you look at the Bible, you will see the people that are talked about in this book in a positive way, they understood God's heart. David is the man after God's own heart, okay? So what we think about God's heart, it will direct the choices we make, the choices that God's given to us to make. So we're not supposed to just be like gelatinous blobs that God kind of tips around on a, you know, a flat plate to see where we're going to go. And we're not supposed to be airy, kind of ditzy people that just wait for, you know, the wind to blow us in this direction and, and then to blow us in this direction. We're not supposed to be unstable. We're actually supposed to be more stable than the people of the world, but by a wind moving us in a very intentional way. Does that make sense? So there's a temptation to, in the flesh, try to mimic what it means to be born again or to be spirit-led or to be a spiritual person. But none of those, con- those counterfeits will get you to the place you need to be, which is under the leadership of God. So we're not supposed to be unstable. We're actually supposed to be more stable, but we're supposed to be more movable by God, okay? Not by the people of the world. We don't want to be, the way that Ephesians 4 says it, we don't want to be carried by every wind of doctrine, So you can think you're religious, you can believe in God, you can believe in the Holy Spirit, and still be carried back and forth by every wind of doctrine because you have no stability. The stability comes from learning one voice. You learn one voice, you'll follow one leader, and you will be so stable through everybody else spinning back and forth because they're confused. They're actually reacting to situations, not listening to one voice that knows what's happening, okay? So it's not instability, it's stability, so all prayer should reveal God's heart to us, all prayer. We've been talking about prayer for the last few weeks. Soaking prayer should reveal God's heart to us. Personal prayer should reveal God's heart to us, all prayer, okay? So personal corporate soaking, travailing prayer, healing prayer of faith. When we pray for somebody to get healed, that should reveal more of God's heart to us while we're doing it. Everything we do, united to God, it's like if when my kids were little and I'm working in the garage, they want to come out and hold the board or, you know, they grab the hammer and hand it to me, not only should they be learning about how to build something, kind of, they should also be learning my heart, right? They should be learning how patient I am with them or how much I enjoy being near them. 
So when you're praying, whatever you're praying, whatever you're praying for, you should be learning God's heart. If that's happening, then when you're praying, something's always happening. If you're not, if you're not in this mode, you can pray a lot and feel like nothing's happening, and truly nothing is happening. Because the whole point of prayer is not that God needs you to pray, it's that you need to know God's heart. And so we pray and we, we partner with him, we learn him, okay? So our life is a progression or a journey. And I'm going to read three passages here about this journey or this walking out life. Um, if you're under the age of 20, raise your hand. If you want to know what, what life is about or what you're supposed to do next, this is it, okay? This is what life is about. And I can say this with confidence at almost 50, if I would have... Heard somebody tell me this at 20, I would have made way different decisions from 20 to 25. Okay, Galatians 5, 16 to 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hey, Taylor, can you stand up and walk in the Spirit? Can you? Abe, stand up, walk in the Spirit. How do you do this? Abigail, how do you walk in the Spirit? You ask God to help you walk in the spirit. Good. Okay. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Proverbs 14, 12 to 15. There is a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that actually seems right to you right now. Like when you think about Monday, there's a way that seems right to you. Okay, I'm going to do this on Monday. Some of the ways that seem right to us, they actually lead to death. And it's not just the ones where we're like, oh, there's overt sin. I'm not going to actually wake up and go kill somebody on Monday. I'm not going to wake up and go rob a bank on Monday. That's not what this is talking about. There is a, a way through your problems that seems right to you, and it actually leads you deeper into more problems. You don't want to follow that way, though it makes sense to the flesh to do that. The spirit knows why the problem's there. It knows what the problem will do if you actually let the spirit lead you to grow you up. And it knows the way through it to the next problem. So Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. He wasn't like, you know, there's some bad people that are going to get some trouble. And the rest of you guys just run around and do whatever you want. He said, in your life, you will have tribulation. But I have overcome the world. So the whole idea is all of the mountains that are set before us, we're actually supposed to know why they're there and the way through them so that we go right through them. Like we say to them, move, and they move because Jesus wants us to be in his leadership, okay? This is so important. So there's a way that seems right to you, to your mind, will, and emotions, but it's not. It's, it's the, the end of that way is death. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. So you could actually be like, everything's amazing, and still be empty inside, still be hurting inside. There, he's, it, it says that in the, at the end of mirth, maybe grief. Like you might feel really good about something and find out it's actually really tragic. Do you know that this happens every day? People like, for instance, do you know that most lottery winners, they are ecstatic to win the lottery, but by percentages, like 70% of them end up bankrupt within five years. Did you know that that's true? There's things that could feel really great right now. Great idea. This is amazing. This will rescue me. And then find out, oh, it actually puts me deeper into prison. 
There's all kinds of things like this. Sometimes we think, if I agree with the Bible about generosity, I'll have more money. And then year after year after year, we find that we have less and less and less because there's a way that seems right to us, but it leads to death. And there's a way that the Spirit says is right that doesn't make any sense to us, but it actually leads to freedom, to more, to life, to vibrancy, to abundancy. So the fact that the Bible is full of this reality over and over and over and over again should give us a clue that we don't naturally come by this. This isn't the wisdom of man. The wisdom of God is foolishness to man, and the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. So we actually want to find out what is the way forward that God says will lead to life. And if I just keep repeating cycles of discouragement and depression, being worn out, being, being confused, but I don't ever think that maybe this is my own leadership that's doing it, well, then I'm a fool. I'm a fool because God did not make me to be confused. He didn't make me to be discouraged or worn out. Does that make sense? And we can come out of foolishness anytime. That Proverbs 14, if you could see the very heading of it, this is what the Lord took me to, to tell me not to talk about corporate prayer this morning. He said he wanted me to talk about being in the spirit. The heading of Proverbs 14 in my New King James Version is wisdom calls. Like, this is wisdom, okay, to realize this. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. If you want to understand what backsliding is in the Bible, the Bible consistently defines it this way, doing things that make sense to you. Once you've tasted the, the power of the age to come, been given the Holy Spirit, if you turn away from that leadership back to your own self-leadership, you can't be saved according to the Bible because you crucified Jesus all over again. He actually paid to fill you with the Spirit so that you would follow God from now on, okay? And we have to grow in a progression of this. We're supposed to be growing in this. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. So that's really what I feel like the Lord is saying to us this morning is that we want to actually be intentional about the way that we walk, the way that we walk out our salvation, run the race is the way Paul said it, and that's the the next thing we're going to read here. So in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, this is right after Paul said, this is what I do. I forget what's behind me, and I run my race, okay? And then he says this about people that, that don't listen to the things that he's saying or what the Spirit's saying to him. For many walk, everybody say walk. That means many people are trying to live out a life of following Jesus. Many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody get saved, lived in all the restrictions and restraints of this word, but not actually walk in agreement with the Holy Spirit? That's foolishness, isn't it? You'd be better off living like the world without all the restraint. But there's something inside the heart of man that's so slippery in pride and in fear. We don't want to actually listen to the Holy Spirit. We don't know how. Nobody ever taught us how to hear the Spirit. And so we're just kind of trying to walk, but we're actually enemies of the cross. Like we make decisions to try and avoid discomfort and persecution. And, and the, Paul says that is foolishness. That's death. That's walking to their own death. Okay. Many walk of whom I've told you often, now even with weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. That means they don't want the trouble that comes with following Jesus, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and in whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now, this doesn't mean they're unbelievers. In fact, they're the opposite of that. They're believers. They're just worldly believers. They measure outcomes as evidence of success or failure. They actually look for outcomes in the earth 
as evidence of whether or not they're doing good or doing poorly. They're saying, this is evil, this is good. They're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the original sin. Adam and Eve, they wanted a God thing. They wanted to be like God. God had already told them, you're my kind. I made you in my image. They just wanted to do it their own way, and they broke everything. Okay, you don't want to be like this. The flesh measures progress by earthly outcomes. I got a lot of money. God's happy with me in the area of money. I'll tell you what, that is not true. I know tons of people with lots of money, enemies of Jesus outwardly. Like, having a lot of money doesn't mean you're good with money. (laughs) Having no money doesn't mean you're bad with money. We actually can't measure by these outcomes. We have to measure by the Spirit, okay? So the flesh measures progress by earthly outcomes. The way seems right, but its end is death. Setting our mind on earthly things is the way that leads to death. That is the way. So when you read that Proverbs 14, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We can know for sure that 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 end or that uh, setting our mind on earthly things is the way that leads to death. That's what uh, Paul tells us in Philippians, who set their minds on earthly things. He says, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. So the, the destruction being the end, that's because we're setting our mind on earthly things. Now, what are the places that you're tempted to set your mind on earthly things? Samantha, what's one of the places you're tempted to set your mind on earthly things? How your body's feeling. You think about, okay, I'm either failing or I'm being, doing well based on if I'm sick or not. What are some other ways we might look at earthly things to evaluate whether or not we're doing the right thing? Yeah. What other people think of us, how our friends react. We might think, if I get a lot of likes, that's because I did something good for God. Did Jesus get a lot of likes on the cross? No. If you set your mind on earthly things, you could actually think this is the way to life, but it's actually the way to death because you're feeding the flesh. You're sowing to the flesh. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. Okay? So faith is required to get our mind off of earthly outcomes. It actually takes faith. You have to have believe. You have to have a vision for something everybody else can't see. Believe it, and then get yourself into the place where God is evaluating success or failure. You stop determining what's good and evil, and you just decide God is the only good one. Whatever he says, that's good, even if I don't understand it. If you'll do that, then over time, you will start to live a life of fruitfulness in the spirit that the world will consider foolish and actually become an enemy of. This is important. If you don't have anybody resisting you because of your faith walk and your witness of who Jesus is, if you don't have people actually hating you for that, you have some work to do to actually get into salvation. Because Jesus said, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You can't. So you got to have a cross. You actually have to have some misunderstanding and rejection for doing the right thing. Without it, you can't be saved. So faith is required to get our mind off of earthly outcomes. The Bible gives promises that must be received in faith, not received with eyesight. These promises are not so like, okay, I can see it happening. It must be true. The promises of God, they're not, they don't work like that. They are true because God gave them. I'm learning how true God is over time, and then he lines my life up with choices that don't make sense to people that are making choices in the natural world. Okay? This is very important. Now, some people make choices for self-preservation in the natural world, and God would lead you to make those same choices. So you can't be like, I'm just going to do the opposite of whatever the world does. It actually has to be led by the Spirit. Because Satan, he, he doesn't originate any ideas. He counterfeits them. He steals them. And he tries to appropriate them as his own if they're godly. So we have to understand, there's, there's no formula for this. There's just learning the voice of God. Okay? 
The Bible gives promises that must be received in faith so that we can take the pressure off of trying to steer natural circumstances to our desired outcomes, which are usually, our desired outcomes, if you're a follower of Jesus, are usually the promises God made. And we'd be like, well, any way that the promise God made is a good way, is a good thing. And no, that's not true. God being God is the only thing that is good. So he's got to be the way to the promises, okay? So taking the place of God is the temptation. Making choices into that is sin. That's what Adam and Eve were presented with, was a temptation to take the place of God when when the Satan said, you're not going to die if you eat the fruit. It's good for making one wise. You'll be like God. That was the temptation was take the place of God. The sin was, okay, I'm going to make a choice into that. You see what I'm saying? So you can have the temptation and not fall into sin. Jesus was tempted by the devil. He just didn't do it. He didn't fall into that sin. Okay. Now, everything in the Bible is a faith thing. There are promises for learning faith, for actually believing God's word before you see that it's good, before you see with your eyes that it's good. If you believe it, there are the promises that come later, there's a delayed reaction for, for, or a delayed re- uh, expectation for most of these. Okay, so I'm going to read a few. Proverbs 22.6. Now, one of the places we're tempted to measure by earthly outcomes is whether or not our kids are doing okay. I didn't learn this in a book. I learned this because I watch my kids and I get afraid and I want to steer them into the circumstances that I want for them. And God's like, there's a way that seems right, but it's leading to death. Like, you're never going to save people, Tom. I save people. You live as a witness of salvation. More people will get saved around you. Okay? So this is what Proverbs 22, 6 says. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, there's a, there's a, a, pro, a, a now thing that you do, and then there's a promise that comes from that. So I train up my child. If I'm wise, I'll train them up. I won't take my hands off the wheel and be like, God's going to have to save them. <laughs> you know, I don't do that with the, the outlet for the electricity. And I shouldn't do that with letting the world tell my kids who God is. I train them up in the way they should go, but I don't measure every day the outcome and try to push them harder and harder into something. I just do the thing that the Bible says is faithful. I train them up in the way they should go, and I believe the promise that they won't depart from it later when it matters, right? This is important. Luke 6, 38, give and you will receive. How many of you have ever given? Did it like come like a boomerang and hit you right back in the face. Oh, I tried to give that dollar and it just... How many of you have given and then later gotten? There's a delay. There's a delay. There's a time. There's a faith time for that. God is... He's orchestrated every minutia of your experience to give you the best opportunity to learn faith. That's what's happening. That's what this entire, you know, if you just use the matrix as the, you know, the analogy, this entire matrix, it's all designed to get us to pick faith. Everything, every choice we make, every instruction in the Bible, it's all designed to get us into faith because in faith we'll obey God forever. That's what Adam and Eve lost. They lost faith, then they lost hope, and then they lost love. And faith, hope, and love are what the entire Bible is restoring back into the earth, okay? So give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Do you know some in the, in the, in the New Jerusalem, some will be first that are last right now, and some will be last that are first. Jesus is a redistributor of wealth. I want to say that clearly. And you have not seen the reward for what you've given or what you've withheld. There's a reward for with what you've, what you've withheld as well. And you haven't seen it yet, but you will. 
Either way, you will see it forever. And like, that's a faith. You do that in faith. Jesus said, store your treasure in heaven. Moth and rust are going to destroy what's here. Store it in faith. And you have to actually learn to believe, I am storing something there. And it will be rewarded. And God likes it when you see it that way. Okay? Because he said it over and over. James 4, 7. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. The now thing is, humble yourself before God and resist the devil. You ever tried to do this? You ever had like a, a, a discourage, an attack of discouragement coming against your depression? And you're like, all right, God, I know this is not real. I've got no good reason to be depressed. I bind depression in the name of Jesus. And you get a moment's relief and it's right back. Well, you do this in faith. I resist the devil and he will flee from me. But it's not a, necessarily an immediate, though sometimes it is an immediate. Usually, it's a process. It's a wrestle. It's a, it's a an opportunity to learn faith that you have, your words have power over the enemy when they're God's words. That's the only time your words have power over the enemy, when they're God's words. Your words have no power on their own against the enemy. They have power for the enemy, but not against them. But when they're God's words, they have power against the enemy. And God is way more interested in your eternal security than in your momentary comfort. And if you've lived very long, you know this is true. And so we resist the devil in faith, and he will flee from us. And when? Nobody knows. Sometimes it's right away. Sometimes it's, it's a bad day. It's a hard day. You're wrestling all day long. I, two days ago, I went to bed. I'm like, Sam, I am, I'm discouraged unto, like, death. I feel so discouraged right this second. Like, so many things had gone wrong on, I think it was Friday. And it was like, I went to bed. I'm like, I just don't want to wake up. And I woke up, I resisted the devil, Samantha prayed for me, resisted the devil, I didn't feel any relief that night, but I believed in faith, I woke up feeling light, I felt free, I felt ready for another day, right? So we have to actually be a people that walk in this kind of process of learning more and more strength and faith in all these areas. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Is that an immediate Okay, I'm going to take the low place, and he's going to immediately exemplify my meekness and, and put me in a high place. No, it's a, that's a faith promise, okay? Now, Luke 6, 46 to 49. I, I didn't take you through those for no reason. This is the, the core of the idea. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? I'm going to read that one more time. This hit me this morning. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat, beat, beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Do you know there's, a, there's coming a moment in time where what you're storing up now to get into the Spirit's leadership, it's going to be consequential. It's not nearly as consequential right now as what's coming. There is a flood coming, a storm coming, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to exemplify the wisdom of the now choices you've been making right now. There's a, it's a promise. The end time flood is a promise. There's te- a test guaranteed to come upon the whole earth, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to demonstrate what you're doing right now, like what you're doing right now, whether or not you're in the spirit or not, okay? But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without, without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Big, nice house, lots of beliefs in there, lots of treasure in there, and bam, there was nothing that was stable in that house when the storm came. 
The flesh makes formulas out of these Bible promises, which are supposed to be received by the Spirit. Do you know that if you hear this and you don't say, Holy Spirit, what do these things mean? You will start to make formulas for how to do these things, how to humble yourself, how to train up a child, how to give. And they're not Holy Spirit-led things. It's just your, your flesh is always trying to get out of this deal, okay, out of salvation. The flesh makes formulas out of these Bible promises, which are supposed to be received by the Spirit. The Spirit is looking for this conversation as an example. So these are the conversations the Spirit's looking for. What way should we train our children into? Should we train our children into the Catholic catechism? Some people think that. How about the, the, the principles you learned in Baptist Sunday school? Should we just train our children by reading them Bible stories? Well, the Holy Spirit knows how to train your children. The whole point is you're training your children to be spirit-led people. So you need to be spirit-led as you train your children. You see what I'm saying? You can't just be like, okay, I got this set of things the kids need to know or else they're not going to be saved. No. If they don't know the Holy Spirit, they're not going to be saved. Train them to know the Holy Spirit by knowing the Holy Spirit yourself while you're training them. That's the whole point. That's what makes unity happen, okay? What and when should we give? Well, I'll just give everything away. Is that what the Holy Spirit's saying? I'll give 5%. You don't have to tithe anymore. Like, that's an old... That's just formulas that we make to try and deal with these issues. What is the Holy Spirit saying to give? I've had times in my life the Holy Spirit said, give everything you could. I've had times in my life the Holy Spirit said, don't give anything right now. I actually want you to, you give it to me by saving it right now. Are you spirit-led? Jesus, he, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, gave all the money to Judas, who he knew was stealing the money and was going to betray him. So you have to understand there's a spirit-led thing with money that won't make any sense to you. And if you don't find that, you won't find any money in eternity, any, any wealth. You won't find any, you'll be last. You don't want to be last in eternity. There, there will be first and there will be last. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit if you want to be res given responsibility over wealth. Jesus said, if you've been responsible with, a, with, a, with what is another man's, then I'll give you what's yours. You haven't even had yours yet. You've only had his so far. In the, in the, in the New Jerusalem, he's actually going to give you your own because you've proven to be faithful with it. How is the devil coming as an angel of light? You know, where it says resist the devil, we'd be like, okay, I'm just going to resist the devil. I'm going to resist everything, that, you know, lucky charms. I'm going to resist lucky charms because there's lucky charms on there, and I know that's witchcraft. Is that what the Holy Spirit's saying? No, typically the devil doesn't come that overtly. <laughs> you know, he came and told Jesus to do Bible things when he was tempting him in, in, in Luke and Matthew. So when we, we have to actually be Holy Spirit how is Satan coming as an angel of light? If I'm going to resist the devil, I've got to recognize the devil. In the Bible warns he comes as an angel of light. What are the things I want to do for God that the devil's actually in? Do you see what I'm saying? How does the Lord see us elevating ourselves over him? If I'm going to humble myself and then be elevated, I can actually, in the flesh, try to pick and choose the areas where I'm going to act humble. Is that humbling ourselves? No, humbling ourselves is actually giving ourselves to the, to the fleshly, unwise leadership of the Holy Spirit. So I don't even know where I'm elevating myself over God. I don't know the areas where I elevate my thoughts of what's good over God's commands of what are good to me. Do you see what I'm saying? So this is a good conversation. Lord, how am I elevating myself over you? Where is dishonor, which is the attack of the enemy, leading us to try to get honor? which is our response to the attack of the enemy. You know, the enemy will attack you and try to dishonor you. That's what all those soldiers and centurions were doing to Jesus. 
Dishonor, that was an attack of Satan against Jesus, dishonoring him. Jesus could have reacted in the flesh, right? He could have actually demanded honor, tried to get honor for himself, let everybody know the great things that he had done for them. He could have let everybody know all the ways that he was saving them right then, but he didn't. He didn't receive honor from men, and he didn't try to get honor from men. He actually saw the attack of the enemy for what it was, and then gave his, his self to God. He put into, into God's hands, he committed his spirit. So there's all kinds of ways where you're dishonored. You're going to be dishonored this week, maybe by your spouse, maybe by your kids. You could tell them how they're dishonoring you, and how is that what the Spirit's doing? Is that what the Spirit's doing? Because you can do that all week long. Make everybody around you see how much you're helping them, and then come to church and try to act like a humble person and try to fool the people at church. And God's not fooled by any of it. Do you see what I'm saying? And you won't be saved that way. You won't be saved that way because your heart won't ever change that way. You're just kind of covering up your pride. So the flesh, if it doesn't completely ignore Jesus, it bypasses the way of the spirit and tries to impatiently interpret these ideas for itself. Train a child until you see with your eyes that they're as holy as you. That's a flesh response to train up a child. Give what seems right to you. Resist everything that seems to displace your vision of comfort, health, and well-being. You know, if you think that everything that's trying to mess with your vision of comfort, health, and well-being, like something came, it's uncomfortable, that's the devil. That's a great way to rebel against God. That's what all of Israel did as Nebuchadnezzar was coming to actually judge them by God. And they're just seeing Nebuchadnezzar as coming from the devil and resisting God all the way to their own captivity and destruction. So the stuff that comes to disrupt our comfort, sometimes it's from God. Let's just read this, Job 1, 21 to 22. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So there's all kinds of things happening on the earth right now, we don't even need to name them, that are threats to freedom, liberty, comfort, security, financial well-being. And if you call all those the devil, you're probably wrong. You're probably wrong. The flesh's way that seems right to the flesh, it leads to death. Only the spirit-led will live. John 3, 1 to 8. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Everybody say born again. Brand new mind. Brand new emotions, brand new will, brand new value system, brand new atmosphere that you're supposed to be getting ready to live in. It's an atmosphere of faith. This air won't matter. It's an atmosphere of faith that you're supposed to be learning to breathe in. Unless he's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Did Nicodemus understand what Jesus was saying? Why not? He didn't have the spirit. Good. Yeah. What? Exactly. He's, his eyes are on the world. The Bible says that's the way to death, Nicodemus. Don't do that. Don't. If Jesus said it, how can I be born again? Not assuming I can't. How can I? Do you see? This is the difference between Zechariah when he's told that he's gonna his his wife Elizabeth is gonna get pregnant with John, with John the Baptist and Mary. Nicodemus was like. How can this be? It's impossible. Mary was like, how can this be? It must be possible. You're saying it to me. There's a difference. Okay, God, show me how, or God, no, it's not possible. You want to be a person that's like, okay, God, show me how. Okay. So right now, if you want to know how to be in the Spirit, let's just ask him, Holy Spirit, right now, where there's an open heart, 
where, where we haven't ever experienced, like really being in the Spirit, like John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Show us how. We're not going to assume it's not possible. We're not going to assume that's just for a few people. We're going to assume every, the Bible's true, that we have to actually walk in the Spirit. Show us how. If you ask him that, he will do that. If you never humble yourself and ask him, if you just assume, I don't need to know that, or, you know, he'll just give it to me, that assumption will keep you from it. You actually have to intentionally ask for that. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. They're not unstable. That wind... That's the only stable thing. The leadership of the Holy Spirit is the only stable thing in this earth that is shaking. There is one voice. There's one thing required that will never be taken away, and it's the instruction in the heart of Jesus given to anyone willing to sit at his feet and listen. If you don't do that, though, you are unstable. You're double-minded. You're like the waves of the sea, and you're just reacting to what's happening out here. You can't be saved that way. He won't let that into heaven. He won't let that turmoil into the place that is at peace because of his leadership. People who operate in the flesh can't understand the decision-making system of spirit principles. If you are a fleshy person and you try to go alongside somebody who's spirit-led, you will think they contradict themselves all the time. Well, you said that we're doing this and now we're doing that because the flesh can only react to circumstances. So it, it finds the circumstances. In that circumstance, I do this. But the spirit says no. In this, that circumstance, you listen to God, and in this circumstance, you listen to God. And whatever God is saying, that's the way through the circumstance. The flesh, it elevates itself over God. It just thinks, I can understand this. I know what's good, and I know what's evil. And God's like, no, you don't. You actually don't know good from evil. So you have to give yourself in humility to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's the right thing to do to give the money away. Sometimes it's the right thing to do to go chase after the person. Sometimes it's the right thing to do to not help. Sometimes it's the right thing to do to not say a word. And you could only know that by the Spirit. Well, I thought, we were, I thought we were doing this. And the Holy Spirit would say, that's what we did, and this is what we're doing now. Because I have a plan. I see things you don't see, and I want to take you to a place you can't even enter into until you let me move you like this. You have to be able to be moved like this. The Spirit and flesh are incompatible. One leads to life and the other death. All your formulas for how to make decisions, they will take you to death, though they seem like the right way. You actually have to let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do. You really do. People driven by the flesh react to what they see happening in the world, and they remain like the world because they're becoming what they're beholding. They're actually looking at what's going on around them, and they don't realize in humility that the enemy is the prince and power of the air. He's got a plan himself to get you into one accord with a bunch of people that are resisting God. You don't want that to happen. You don't want to be in one accord with a bunch of people resisting God. One language and one speech, let us build a tower whose top is in the heavens. People driven by the flesh, they react to what they see happening in the world, and they remain like the world, impatient, fearful, discouraged, harsh, lacking self-control. They just make it Bible reasons for why that's okay. I'm harsh because God's harsh towards these sinners. No, he's actually not. He wasn't harsh towards you. He's not harsh towards sinners. He's actually on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So you don't get licensed to be different than Jesus, ever. 
People led by the Spirit bring what they see in the world before God. They actually say, okay, I see this happening. God, how do you see it? I see this war. I think these people are bad. These people are good. God, how do you see it? When I did that, he said to me, I've got believers in Russia and the Ukraine. I've got people I'm trying to refine in both places. If you pick one over the other, you'll actually get thrown right in with people that think they see good from evil without me. Listen to me. And I've learned a lot since the war in the Ukraine started. I've learned a lot about my own heart and my own desire to try and fix things. People led by the Spirit bring what they see in the world before God. That's just one small example. Then respond to what the Spirit tells them in faith, and then they change over time. Do you see this? You should actually think something different about the world next week than you do this week if the Spirit's actually growing you up. If you're actually being led by God, the temptation in the flesh is to be like, no, I can't. If I, if I admit that I was wrong here, everyone will know that I'm not perfect, and then they'll attack me. That's the world. That's the flesh. No, you actually have to be changing. You have to actually be seeing how I didn't know stuff along the way. Like, God's actually changing me. That's called humility. And if you do that, you'll find all your relationships go a lot better if you can be wrong. All of your, your, your disappointments will start to fade if you could actually be wrong about some of the things that are supposed to happen in the future. You see what I'm saying? So we get weighed down by discouragement, disappointment, trying to keep our rights, trying to keep our lies all in one place. And then we wonder why we're getting worn out. But we should be letting these things go. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. They change over time. Their walk makes them reborn into a new value system, a new set of facts, new vision, and a new heart, a new mind, will, and emotions. Their life typically gets harder in the flesh but better in the spirit. And I, I say that because the Bible says it. Hebrews 11 gives you a whole list of people and all the crazy, terrible things that happen to them, but they are the great cloud of witnesses that are waiting for perfection with you. Sawn in two, you know, relatives taken, killed, and they didn't try to get out of it. Like, they actually wanted a better resurrection. Do you want a better resurrection? Acts 7, 54 to 60. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed at him with their teeth, but he... This is Stephen. Being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Do you know that Stephen, he was having a prayer moment right there when they were trying to kill him. He was in the Spirit. Nobody else was. Nobody else saw what Stephen saw. Stephen saw something entirely different because he is actually in the practice. If you look at the, the testimony of the book of Acts, Stephen was filled with a lot of power. Like a ton of people were getting healed by him. He was prophetic. He was spending time in the spirit. And so when he needed it, he went to where the spirit was. He actually was, a, he had learned to abide with the spirit under pressure. So for you, you might think, well, you know, being in the spirit or praying in the spirit, that's what I do when I got some free time. But I got all these responsibilities that I got to take care of before I get any time for that. Well, then you've just gotten it all wrong. Your flesh is trying to make sense of something that the Bible's like, no, it's your responsibilities you need to be in the spirit in. It's when the pressure's on. That's when you need to be in the spirit. John says, I, John, was on the Isle of Patmos, exiled for the testimony of Jesus. I did all the right things. I got all the wrong things. I'm very discouraged right this moment. I'm in the spirit. I'm in the spirit. Are you in the spirit when you're discouraged at work? Are you in the spirit when you, when you wake up in the morning and you've got a rough day with your family? Are you in the spirit? 
Are you starting to see things the way the Spirit says them? There's a way that seems right to you, but bam, 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 day after day, I'm getting tired of trying to do this and stay faithful. And God would say, you're not being faithful at all. You're being you, unchanging, in a cycle of destruction, and you're a terrible witness of the kingdom. Get in the Spirit. Let me tell you to do something different. Maybe I want you to see the situation differently. Maybe I see something entirely. Maybe I see something really hopeful happening. I felt like this is what the Lord, thankfully, Sam prayed for me on Friday night because I felt like I was just seeing things. I was just like, God, I'm tired. Everything just seems like it's always hard. I think I said that to you. Why is everything always hard? That's not true. Everything isn't always hard. There's lots of beauty. Lots of amazing things happening all the time. But I got to get in the spirit. The spirit sees things differently than I do. Do you see what I'm saying? This is, this, is, um, this is one of the main things we bring into this corporate prayer meeting is what we've been dwelling in out there. And if you've been dwelling in nothing out there, do you know what you're bringing here? Nothing. Just you, the way you are, which is great. Don't stop doing that. But it'd be better if we brought in what the Spirit thought about you and what the Spirit thought about the world. What the Spirit thought about Israel, what the Spirit thought about your kids, and what the Spirit thinks about where the city is going, what the Spirit thinks about money. You see what I'm saying? If we bring that into this place, well, we can stir each other up into love and good works in a powerful way. But that's not something you don't get the Spirit's insight when you got like 20 free minutes and the house is totally quiet and you just got a chance to veg out. That's all about you, not about the Spirit. You get the Spirit's insight when you have really valuable decisions to give to him. Really valuable moments of your life to give to him. He doesn't want the junk that you got laying around extra. He wants the most valuable things that you feel responsible for to take you up in the spirit for. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, in that moment, I mean, he had fasted 40 days, not eaten or drank anything. He was under intense pressure. And the devil came, and he stayed in the spirit. That's why he was fasting in the first place. You know, he had gotten baptized. The spirit came down landed on him like a dove, and he went into the wilderness and fasted and prayed for 40 days. And the devil came, and he stayed in the spirit, in that intensity. That's what God wants for us right now, to get into the spirit. Our responsibilities, if we seek first the kingdom, all those responsibilities are going to get taken care of. They will all be added unto you. But if you just do the responsibilities and try to make time for praying in the spirit later, and I don't mean praying in tongues, though that includes praying in tongues. I mean getting in the spirit. I mean, I mean using your imagination. This is the way you get in the spirit. You use your imagination. You, you actually make some space for God to show you some things. God, this person is causing me trouble. I'm going to close my eyes and let you put something on my imagination, whether it's a word, a Bible passage, a picture, and I'm going to believe it in faith that that's actually you trying to talk to me, and I'm going to go try to respond to that faith revelation and see if something changes. But if I just keep clinging to my rights, being angry, seeing that person the way the devil sees them with accusation and no hope, then how could I possibly expect to ever be changed and be saved? I have to actually get in the spirit. Let's just try this for a second. This is my youth group exercise. Anybody in youth group will recognize this. Everybody close your eyes for a second. We're going to use our imaginations. I'm going to tell you what to put on your imagination. Okay, I'm just going to prove to you that your imagination works. And you just picture a swimming pool on a sunny day, and like there's a table next to you with a drink on it. How many people saw a round pool? A couple people. How many people saw an, an oddly shaped pool? 
Anybody see a square pool? All right. Rectangular. Good. Your imagination works. Now, that was me telling you what to see. How many people saw a drink on their left-hand side? How many people saw a drink on their right-hand side? You see, the Holy Spirit, if he's the one putting something on our imagination, you'll interpret it the way that your heart is framed to interpret it. The Holy Spirit said the same thing to somebody else. They would interpret it a different way. Do you see what I'm saying? So Noah, I think Noah was prophesying that no one can love God like you can. Nobody can actually interpret the things that he shows you or says to you like you can. And he actually wants you to be a part of him bringing his kingdom to the earth, okay? So we're going to just do this again. But this time we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to show us something, okay? Holy Spirit. We're going to ask him actually to show us something that this church needs, this building, this place, this people. So we're giving him the exact same imagination we just used. It's just easier to use it when you hear a person's voice telling you what to do. But it's no less real. It's no less effective when the Holy Spirit puts something on it. Holy Spirit, on our imagination, would you just show us the things that we could, we could actually bring into this room that would edify the body? What is it that you're saying that this place needs? We might think it needs something. There might be a way that we think leads to life, but it leads to death. But what do you say this place needs? What do you see? Now, this isn't just something that you do in a corporate moment like this. This is something that you do with your problems, with your struggles at work, with school, with the guy you like or the girl you like, the one you're married to, hopefully, if you're married. This is what we do with our kids, with our church, with the city with the, the worship events we see online. Holy Spirit, what do you see? We could just be like, this is good and this is bad. But it doesn't work like that. This is people. All around us is people. Holy Spirit, what do you see? What do you feel? I encourage you to pray into the thing what, that the Lord showed you, if he showed you anything on your imagination when we did that. So people led by the Spirit, they bring what they see in the world before God, then respond to what the Spirit tells them in faith. So it, does, it means you're never really sure until you respond in faith, and then over time, in a relationship with God, he starts to give you more and more confidence. Hey, that was him. I did the thing. I believed the thing. I did what I felt like it meant to do, and over time, the relationship's getting better, or the place is feeling like more free, or whatever it might be. My, I, see, I see evidence of the Lord working in my kids. I have a little bit more hope, whatever it might be. Then you learn over time a relationship with God. But if you never make hard decisions this way, you will never learn a, a relationship with God that can endure Testing that can endure trouble. We actually need to make hard decisions this way. Okay, so when uh, Stephen did this, you know, obviously, you know the rest of the story. Let's go to page three. I got about four minutes left here. Getting into the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is a choice we make by making a prayer choice. We can choose to pray with our own understanding, which is appropriate when the Spirit leads us to. There's a time when you're supposed to actually pray with your own understanding. You're supposed to think about things and say what makes sense in that moment. But there's also times that you pray by the Spirit, solely by the Spirit, okay? 1 Corinthians 14, 14 to 16. For I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. And that means, I mean, if you pray, in, if you speak in tongues, you know that this, what this means. I don't know what I'm saying. But I feel, I feel connection to God. I just, it's not helping my understanding be fruitful at all. I just feel a connection to God. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. And I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. So sometimes when we're singing together, it's helpful to sing a song everybody knows to bring us all together. 
And sometimes it's helpful for us to go to a place prophetically. It's sometimes helpful to come back to something we all know to unify us. And then for us to go into the Spirit and, like, what is the Spirit saying? And over time, that doesn't that sound like a living, breathing organism that's not just, like, hitting all the train stations at the right time? Like, we actually want to be alive. We want to be vibrant. We want to be moved by the Spirit. And we also want to be considerate of places that can't connect with the Spirit right that second. Because everybody has these. You ever had a moment like that? You're like, I cannot get out of my own head right this second. So in love and concern for one another, we actually pay attention to that. Like, we try to move together a little bit. We're like, I've got grace on me to hear the Spirit right now. I feel like this is what the Spirit's saying, but I'm willing, actually, by the leadership of the Spirit, to kind of walk with you, as much as it depends on me, to try and walk in peace with you. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what this is talking about. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion? Then I will pray with the Spirit. I will also pray with understanding. I will sing in the, with the Spirit. I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, he who will... How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? How can anybody agree with you? If you're just like constantly just in your own mind with the spirit, thinking it's just you and the spirit, you know, we're just taking over the world, nobody could ever agree with you. It's never you and the spirit taking over the world. The spirit loves everybody in the room. So it's you and the spirit learning to love the people around you. Do you see what I'm saying? So loving the Lord or getting in the spirit should always lead us to a concern and a spirit-led awareness of what the people around us need. That's how you know it is the spirit. You love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then he, he actually loves the people around you. You start to love them like you love yourself. And that will actually bring a unity to the church that it's never seen since Acts 2. That's what was happening in the upper room in Acts 2. There was all kinds of self-focus before they went into that room, and you can see it in the testimony of the Gospels. They came out unified by something. They actually came out with a, a, a prophetic vision that had unified them. They had learned to share all things in common, which is, it sounds like communism to the flesh. But in the spirit, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. If it's spirit-led, it's terrible if it's flesh-led. Okay, it's, it kills people if it's flesh-led. Uh, getting in the spirit can be flesh-counterfeited or formulaic, just like everything else. Typically, when we fake being in the spirit, we run over the people around us with a false license of, God just wants me to do this. Yeah, I know that that would be easier for you guys if we did that, but the Lord's telling me we got to do this, so I'm just going to plow over you. That's not being in the spirit. Like, you might feel ethereal. You might feel a little bit flighty, but that's not in the spirit if it's running over people. The spirit leads us to actually consider the way that we're impacting the people around us. Love isn't just telling people, I love you, I love you. Love is actually paying attention to what makes them feel comfortable or uncomfortable. Like in actually learning to accommodate other people's weaknesses. That's the Bible talks about this over and over. God doesn't want us to get breezy or sensual is what that really is. So when we're like, it's, it's very tempting for the flesh, especially if you've been in the charismatic church for any length of time, to think, I'm in the spirit when I feel a tingle. The spirit's not appealing to your flesh's desire to have no faith and just feel stuff. That's a false counterfeit of being in the spirit. I'm in the spirit when I get peace, and I actually have peace in a situation that it would not in the flesh be able to be peaceful. I'm in the spirit when I'm starting to learn patience. I'm in the spirit when I learn self-control. Now, that doesn't mean you never feel things. Sometimes you feel the presence of the Lord. But the presence of the Lord, you're not feeling it to get you more into the flesh. You're feeling it to get you more into the spirit. But you get to do what you want with that, Okay. And Saul, he got filled with the Spirit, and he used the Spirit as license for the flesh, and that's what got him dethroned as king. 
So you don't want that. You actually want to use the spirit as license to more of the spirit, more leadership, more humility. Does that make sense? So God doesn't want us to get breezy or sensual. He wants us to get faithful, which is much different. Sensual is a flesh counterfeit of the spirit's presence. Giving God our imagination is the main way we get in the spirit. Revelation 1, 9 to 17. This is the story of John, and we won't read the whole thing for the sake of time. He says in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. So John, he starts using all these words, like. It was like fine brass. It was like wool. Now, if you're in the flesh, you're like, okay, his eyes are fire. No, John's like, his eyes were like a flame of fire. I saw something in the spirit that was different. Like, I, there aren't words to describe it, so I'm telling you what it's kind of like. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God uses the imagination because it's the door to our faith. In fact, John saw a door right after this. The flesh arrogantly refuses to open that door. Just says, no. That's for other people. I'm not, I'm not soft like that. If you're not soft like that, if you're not soft enough to actually give the, your imagination to God to put some things on it that you believe that no one else can see, then you're not faithful and you're not led by the Spirit. You actually have to be Spirit-led. The natural world and natural observations feel more reliable to arrogant people. The natural world and natural observations, they feel more reliable, but the spirit realm is just as real as the natural realm. And if you don't believe that, you got no business in this faith at all. The spiritual realm is just as real as the natural realm, and you got to learn how to dwell there, like how to abide there. God uses the imagination because that is the door to faith. If you don't have any vision, you have nothing to believe in. You have, if God can't put something in your mind to believe in, with, without vision, you perish, you die. You, the people cast off restraint. So imagination or vision, that's the opportunity for faith. You can believe that thing or you can reject it. You could say, no, it makes more sense to me to yell at the guy or to you know, find a way to get the money back than it does to actually let the Spirit lead me through this situation, though it makes no sense to anybody else. You know, the Spirit typically says, sue. Get your rights, and the, or the, the flesh says that, and the spirit might have something else to say. The spirit almost never says so, I don't think. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 14. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God, things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Jen, you want to come back up? Those led by the Spirit are led over time. Everything of the Spirit is learned over time. It's exercised. The flesh, it demands the spirit involuntarily take over to be real. The flesh is, is very demanding. And it's like, I'm not going to believe it until God just makes it happen to me. But if you look, everything that the spirit does is learned in a process. It takes time. It actually, because God is unwilling to violate the boundary lines of your will, it actually takes us giving him something to work with 
to lead us in the things of the Spirit, okay? This is what Jesus says, John 16, 12 to 14. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. He is Jesus. They're one. So the Holy Spirit, he leads you just like Jesus led his disciples. Did Jesus, like, teach his disciples how to heal? Absolutely he did, yes. He taught his disciples how to heal. He showed them by demonstration how to pray in different situations. In fact, they came and they said, why can't we cast this one out? He said, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. He taught them all kinds of things about healing, about prophecy, about expelling demons. So if we're like, if it doesn't come out, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work like that. Stand with me if you want. We actually have to be willing to let the Spirit lead us right now, like right now. We have to be willing to actually let the Spirit take us up into his presence and try some things. This is what I'm saying. All right, I got this problem. This demon-possessed person keeps presenting himself before me. I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit's like, come up. Look, what am I saying? What am I doing? Try it in faith. Does it work? A little bit? Come up. What am I saying? What am I doing? Try it. Does it work? A little bit? Come up. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the same with giving your money. It's the same with training your children. It's the same with learning righteousness. It's the same with the city of Kalamazoo. It's the same with where the church is going. Come up. What do you see? Believe it. Try it. Does it work? A little bit? Come up. If you want that Holy Spirit right now, would you fill us with patience and faith? God, would you help us to spend more time praying in the Spirit? Lord, would you help us to stop reacting to situations in the flesh? God, would you show us where at work we could be in the Spirit? Lord, would you show us where our discouragement is entirely our own reality, our own cyclical thinking, and our arrogance and pride. Lord, bring it down right now in Jesus' name. Just bring that stronghold down. Your, your weapons, Jesus, they are powerful for pulling down strongholds. Thank you, Lord. Just bring it down right now. God, give us childlike faith to try some things that we haven't tried before. Lord, give us hope for relationships. I just see the Lord releasing it. I just see him sprinkling it like powdered sugar. Hope for relationships. You think, man, this relationship is never going to work. I'm just kind of gritting my teeth until it's over. And he's like, come up. Let me show you something. Try it. Does it work? A little bit. Come up. Holy Spirit, just move that into our hearts. Change this city, Jesus, like yeast in a mix of flour. Yeah, this is what he's saying right now. This is the Holy Spirit just saying, he's going to change this city like yeast, a little bit of yeast mixed in. It's going to make the whole thing rise in a good way. Holy Spirit, just release the kingdom into our hearts right now. Save us, God. Just tell him, if you want to get saved, save me. Save me, God. 
I just repent for living so many years not in the spirit and claiming to be yours and making a mess of the witness, God. I'm sorry. Save me. Save the witness, God. Save the city. Save the world. You, you desired that, that the world not perish, so you sent your son. Anybody who believed in him would not perish. Lord, help us to believe in him for real. In Jesus' name, amen.